All right. Welcome back to the String Bean Podcast. My name is Kyle Gibbs. I am a biology, chemistry, global health student at UCSD. Um, I compete in Division One track and field. 20 years old. And I host this thing around here. So, I have not put out one of these episodes in several months. And I apologize for that. Um, everything got busy. Everything got crazy. I, I just started my third year of college. And it's hard. College is hard. Track is hard. Working is hard. And doing all of them together is it's harder than the sum of its parts. So forgive me, please, for not putting this out. This is just kind of a side thing. Um, I find it really fun. I find it relaxing, and I think it's interesting. So I, I want to do it more, and I want to finish the series that we're doing right now, which I'll get into in a second. Um, but yeah, a lot of things have been going on. A lot of stuff has changed. Nothing too bad. Um, just busy, busy, busy. You guys know how it is. Now that that's out there, we can kind of get into it. Um, again, I'm I'm recording my room. It's I think it's raining outside. It kind of sounds like it is. It's dark out, so I can't really tell from where I'm sitting. Um, and now that I started recording this, I'm not going to get up and check. But there's a little bit of like a, a drip drop background noise. I think it sounds pretty cool. Um, I, I'm, I'm at home. I live in a kind of busy area, so cars are going to go by. Some people might walk by. Probably not. It's 8.40 p.m. Um, not too many pedestrians out right now. But, again, this is not a professional setup or anything. I just have a mic and uh, my computer and stuff. So apologies if it's not the quality that you're looking for. Um, and that you're used to if you listen to a more popular professional podcast. This is just fun thing that I do. Whatever. <clears throat> so, I feel like I had something else to say. I don't remember. Um, yeah, okay. Well, then let's, let's just get into it. Um, so this is... We're still doing our series. Um... If you haven't listened to the last episode, it's not really like prerequisite knowledge, but it would be good to start at the beginning of the series and go through it chronologically because that's kind of how it's set up and how I'm writing it. So um, again, it's not necessary. I think it just kind of adds to it. It would be better if you did that, but I think you can enjoy, hopefully, um, any episode on its own within this series that's kind of my goal but um, they are pushed together um, they do build off each other so if you want the full experience go listen to the last episode which um, if you recall if you did listen to it was about how the universe came into existence and different theories different ideas um, my take on them and yeah, it was really fun. It was what some of the cool kids might call a doozy to write and record. Um, it was fun. It was interesting, challenging, and I really enjoyed it. So, 
Today, the second episode in this however many episode series, um, I don't have a set number of episodes, I don't have them all written out, but it's eight main topics. This is the second main topic. Um, so if we did one topic for every, or one episode for every topic, it would be eight, but I think the next episode I'm going to be doing two main topics, or at least starting two of them. Um, because one of them I think will be shorter, and I'll get into that at the end of this episode, um, what that's going to be about and stuff. So it might be less than eight episodes total for this series, but it's main eight main topics, so like eight chapters, I guess. Um, yeah. Anyway, that's what this series is about. It's It stemmed from kind of an existential crisis I had for several months, um, I think starting about a year ago from now. Um, is kind of when it began basically like all of winter quarter last year was terrible and when I came out of that I had had some really cool ideas and questions and I wanted to make this podcast to kind of talk about them and do research on them and share it with you guys so like I said today is the second episode and a second topic um, of the series and since we're going in a chronological order, and the last episode was about the beginning of the universe, this episode will be about the origin of life on Earth. And there is a very huge gap in the universal timeline between the origin of the universe and the origin of life on Earth, um, which I do think that series, or that, not series, but that like time period is very interesting and something that I do want to talk about and cover in a future episode, but for the purpose of this series, it doesn't really fit super well, um, and it's it's just this huge chunk of time and science physics and chemistry kind of stuff, and I don't really want to tackle all of that right now, um, in this series at least. I do probably want to talk about it in a future episode just because I think it's cool, and that's kind of like what this podcast is about whenever I do science stuff, so... We'll see. Um, I just want to acknowledge that that is a huge gap of time that I'm not covering. So don't yell at me. I haven't been yelled at for anything for this podcast. I don't expect to be yelled at. Uh, Anyway, you know what I'm trying to say. This episode is about the origin of life on Earth all the way through uh, the first humans. And that is several billion years um and i'm going to be covering that in the next 20 to 30 something minutes so um i'm definitely going to miss a lot of stuff but um i think i covered when i was writing this um a lot of the main things that i want to talk about some of the things i find really cool i think everything is really cool that's kind of one of my issues when I write this kind of stuff is it's really hard to pick something to focus on. So sorry if I miss anything cool. I think I got a lot of it. So anyway, let's get into it. So we know this episode is about life and how it became to be. First, we should define what exactly life is. And there are many definitions. Um, The one that I like the most that I understand pretty well um, is one that I learned in one of my bio classes at UCSD and I think 
also in like high school biology. It's the same one, and it's also the one used in the Merriam-Webster dictionary, which is an organismic state, an or an organismic state <laughs> characterized by the capacity for metabolism, growth, reproduction, and reaction to stimuli. That is a bit of a wordy definition, but it's basically saying in order for something to be considered alive, it uses energy to grow, make more of itself, um, and react to its environment. So when we think of something that is generally or something that is alive, it generally hits all of these criteria. Um, there are some animals that I can think of off the top of my head that wouldn't really fit every one of these, like a mule, for example, can't reproduce, um, or at least it can't make living offspring. But if there's exceptions, but that's kind of the general like rule is those, those things, uh, metabolism, growth, reproduction, responsiveness to the environment is what considers something alive, at least for that definition and for this episode and going forward, that's kind of what I'm going to be going with. Um, cool, we got that. Now I want to get out of the way quickly. Um, we don't have a clear understanding of exactly how stuff went from being just stuff to stuff that was alive. Sorry to disappoint if that is something that you want a clear understanding of, um, but we don't have that. That would kind of defeat the purpose of this episode. You could just look that up. But we, while we don't have a clear understanding exactly of how this stuff happened, we do know to a pretty high level of specificity the, mecha the mechanisms and, um, yeah, I guess just the mechanisms of many of the chemical reactions that occur inside of our bodies and for this conversation more importantly inside of our cells and when i say our cells i am talking about humans but also overall just things that are alive we have a pretty good understanding of chemical reactions and how they work um, so using that we can kind of figure out sort of how things go from being inorganic to organic, which just means not alive to alive, or functioning in a living being, the stuff that we use and that we're made out of and, and all of that. <clears throat> so to look into that, which is foundational for the rest of this conversation, we need to learn a little bit of chemistry. Um, a lot of people are scared of chemistry, I think it's really cool. It is hard and I'm not great at it, but I do think this stuff is really cool. So bear with me a little bit. Um, basically, a chemical reaction is the movement of electrons from one atom to another. Some atoms like to give electrons more than others. Some like to take electrons more than others. And some are happy to share. We could say happy. We could also say they are equally strength and they're pulling against each other. They both hate each other with equal amounts of hate and either one gets the electron more. I like the idea that they're sharing and that they're happy to because we're optimistic around here, or at least we try to be sometimes. Anyway, this can be measured and is referred to as electronegativity. Um, the strength, I guess, of that 
an atom has to pull an electron towards itself is electronegativity. I'll be coming back to this word later, so keep it in your memory if you can. Um, anyway, this giving, taking, and sharing of electrons happens spontaneously when a few criteria are met. These criteria involve entropy, enthalpy, and a general understanding of thermodynamics that's too much to get into right now. Um, I talked about thermodynamics in Season 2, Episode 10 in a little bit more detail if you want to learn more about that. Um, I would suggest looking it up. I think you could probably find a couple sentences or paragraphs on Google that will explain this stuff better than I did in that episode, but if you just like my voice, go ahead and listen to that. I would appreciate it. Um, but you don't really need to know that in much detail for this episode and for what we're talking about, so don't worry about it. Um, only if you want to. Go ahead. Anyway, uh, the main point is that chemical reactions are looking for stability, and I use the term stability with quotes around it and pretty loosely because something like an explosion can be spontaneous and it wouldn't seem like an explosion is very stable or stabilizing. Uh, that's where all that thermodynamic stuff comes in. So yeah, uh, I don't know if the, technically the word st stability is like the right word to use. That's just kind of what makes sense to me. Um, things being in order or um, kind of clicking together like a puzzle piece or a Lego. Sometimes that Lego or puzzle piece could be in the form of an explosion and that could be spontaneous. So I, I think that's something that we can roll with. Um, anyway, there was a cat in the background just there. Um, with varying levels of electronegativity, the most stable interactions between different atoms can take many forms. Uh, and there are a handful of factors that can affect the stability, including electric charges repelling or attracting each other, uh, geometric shape, filling out an outer shell of valence electrons, and so on. So using these specific rules and patterns, again, I'm not going in super detail with this. I don't even understand it super well, just enough to pass my classes. Um, using those rules and patterns, we can generally figure out how some reactions happen. And these reactions, are involved in processes like DNA replication, ions moving across membranes, muscle flexion, and a ton more things that happen inside of our bodies and cells all the time. Pretty cool. And it has been observed over and over again that what we call organic matter, things like nucleic acids and proteins and hydrocarbons, are formed quite often naturally, likely just due to the fact that they're all pretty stable compounds, like that puzzle piece of that Lego fits together really well, so it happens all the time. <clears throat> and when I say naturally, I don't mean in the sense of it forms from plants and animals, like that's a given, that's what we're made out of. I mean, we have found these organic materials in meteorites and gas clouds and stuff like that in space, where living things don't exist, at least to our knowledge, um, I guess something could be out there, and maybe even probably, but we don't have evidence to support that, so we can kind of go with the idea that these things happen naturally without um, something alive provoking that. 
and even if they were, they would have to have some sort of start. So we know it happened naturally, like on its own, at some point, because we're here and we are using these organic materials. So anyway, uh, the, the general idea is that these things are stable. They are a puzzle piece that fits together really well. So it happens often kind of on its own without provocation. <clears throat> um, I lost my train of thought. Oh yeah, okay. So if a bunch of these organic materials, like these proteins and nucleic acids and stuff, are floating around in a common space, we can kind of see how something like a cell could form. Um, they're all working together in a tiny little bubble, so a car going by. Um, again, we don't know exactly how these things happened. I'm just talking about general ideas of how they could. Um, so yeah, if a bunch of them like were uh, coagulating, in something like the ocean, a cell could form. That's that's at least how I like to think of it. Um, anyway, when Earth was first formed, it was pretty different from how we know it today. I wasn't there, but just based on what scientists say, it seems like it was pretty different. Um, there wasn't a whole lot of oxygen in the atmosphere so many of today's organisms wouldn't be able to survive because um, we need oxygen and there wasn't a lot of it so they'd probably die pretty quick looking at fossils from less than a little less than four billion years ago however we can see that there were some living things floating around in the ocean um, but since there wasn't any oxygen we know and looking at the fossils, we can tell these guys didn't need oxygen to survive. They would just use the organic materials slowly accumulating in the ocean for fuel. Um, that's how their metabolisms would work. It wasn't functioning with oxygen. It was just using these um, like carbon-based materials and breaking them down or building them upward or something that would release energy and they're using that to survive. <clears throat> it's That's anaerobic um, metabolisms. It's not super efficient, but it works. So that's kind of how everything started out. At least that's what the general um, group knowledge points to is that that was the first form of life, was a little single cell, not just one single one, but like a bunch of them little bacteria things using um, organic material, breaking it down and using that as fuel, kind of like using wood in a fire campfire thing. Um, yeah. So like I said, they were a type of bacteria. And as you may know from a biology class or something, any other general knowledge, bacteria are pretty small and they're pretty simple. Um, so over the next few billions of years from that point, some of these bacteria evolved to eat sunlight, the big yummy sunshine. This evolution was able to take place because of the bacteria's genetic material called DNA and or RNA, um, changing. And this 
change could happen from little mistakes in the genetic code during the bacteria's form of reproduction. Um, these little mistakes have the potential to completely change something's structure and therefore its function. Um, and these mistakes happen relatively infrequently, but they absolutely do occur. So over enough time, or so over a long time, enough of these genetic code alterations could explain how they developed the ability to photosynthesize eating that sunshine. Um, now, photosynthesis is a gorgeous thing, really cool thing that some organisms can do. Uh, I think just about everyone knows what photosynthesis is, but just to recap, basically, an organelle called chlorophyll can use sunlight to convert carbon dioxide and water into oxygen and sugar. Now, chlorophyll is actually super cool. Um, when I was writing this, I had just read about how magnesium is the driving force behind chlorophyll, and that was in one of my favorite books, The Secret Lives of the Elements by Katherine Harkup. Highly recommend to anyone who's slightly interested in chemistry or just a general curiosity of how the world works. Super cool book. Um, but yeah, the magnesium section in that book talks about chlorophyll, and that was just cool that I was writing this and reading that at the same time. Um, anyway, photosynthesis was such an excellent development because it allowed for an abundance of oxygen to be put in the atmosphere. I don't want to spoil anything, but it turns out that oxygen is really important for billions and billions of characters in the upcoming chapters of this story. This huge amount of oxygen being thrown into the atmosphere through photosynthesis is called the Great Oxidation Event, aka the Oxygen Catastrophe, aka the Oxygen Crisis, aka the Oxygen Revolution. Now, I just said this was an excellent development. This sounds like a good thing. Why does it have such a negative connotation to its name? Well, as we learned before, many of the first bacteria were anaerobic. They didn't need oxygen to survive. They didn't use it. And as it turns out, oxygen is super reactive, and it can be corrosive and toxic to some organisms and just things in general. Remember that word we learned earlier, electronegativity? It refers to an atom's desire and ability to take electrons from other atoms. Oxygen is one of the most electronegative atoms on the periodic table. That's all the atoms possible. Oxygen is one of the most electronegative ones ever, out of all of them. Um, so, yeah, the word oxidation, which is something a lot of you have probably heard, is literally named after oxygen's ability to forcefully take electrons. If you ever heard a biologist or chemist or something use the term oil rig, they're referring to the phrase, oxidation is lost, reduction is gain, which spells out oil rig if you take the first letter of the phrase. Um, now the loss and gain in that phrase refers to an atom's interactions with its electrons. So oxidizing something is taking its electrons and for something to be oxidized, it means something took its electrons away. So you may be familiar with a very common example of oxidation, which is what turns uh, bananas brown, but it's also what turns iron into rust. And this is 
actually a really useful tool to establish when this great oxidation event occurred. Using methods like carbon dating, we're able to roughly determine how old a fossil is or some other geological item, not necessarily a fossil. Uh, and looking through the different layers of rocks that we have access to on Earth's surface, we can see varying levels of oxidized iron or rust corresponding to how much oxygen that layer was exposed to. Um, and after dating the layers with the carbon dating and stuff like that, we would then be able to relate the amount of oxygen in the atmosphere to how old those layers are, which effectively gives us a reasonable range for how long ago the Great Oxidation event occurred. While I was doing research for this episode, I personally developed some questions about this process, like if we have an abundance of oxygen in the atmosphere right now, which we do, how are these layers preserved to tell the tales of geological history? Um, and I'm sure there are f some fun discussions about this in much more detailed and rigor rigorous experiments uh, than the general idea I just described. But the depth of my understanding about geology extends absolutely no further than a few internet searches that I did to write this episode. Um, so if you want to learn more about it, I definitely encourage you to look more into it than I did. I definitely will be looking more into it later on. I think this stuff is super cool. So uh, yeah, but just to function as this point in the discussion, that was basically the extent of my knowledge. Anyway, as tons and tons of oxygen built up in the atmosphere, conditions began to change. Now, oxygen is this highly reactive element, uh, so many of the first bacteria that didn't depend on oxygen began to die out. This would become Earth's first mass extinction, which again is why the Great Oxidation Event or Oxygen Crisis has a negative connotation to it, because a lot of stuff died. So as time went on and the abundance of oxygen began to increase, or I guess continued to increase, the door for rapid evolution was open to aerobic um, organisms that use oxygen to survive. Um, yeah, so if we look a bit further into the future, at our own use of oxygen as human beings, we know that we use it to breathe, right? We breathe in oxygen, everyone knows that. So, uh, but why do we need to breathe? It's to fuel our metabolisms, actually, which not everyone knows. Um, and metabolism is an umbrella term for a bodily function that uses energy to make something happen. Again, going back to the definition of life, that's one of the main things, is metabolism, using energy to do stuff. Um, and this also holds true for the first aerobic organisms that evolved after the Great Oxidation event, them using oxygen for their metabolisms. Um, and the general process for this development includes everyone's favorite organelle, which is the mitochondria. So for anyone who took bio in high school, this question is for you. What is mitochondria? And I hear you scream through your brain, because I doubt anyone screamed out loud. It's the powerhouse of the cell, of course. But what does that actually mean? How did mitochondria develop? And how do we have them in our own cells? Now, this is a fascinating story utilizing one of my favorite natural processes. Or processes? I don't know what the right word is. Either way, it uses symbiosis, which I find awesome. Um, with everything that happened in the past, we don't know for sure what happened. 
but the generally accepted story goes like this. A few billion years ago, there was an aerobic bacteria, that is, a bacterium that could use the highly reactive element oxygen to make energy for itself. Another slightly larger organism, some sort of cell, engulfed the aerobic bacterium and the two developed a symbiotic relationship. Symbiosis is a special relationship between multiple organisms in which they help each other survive better. The cell offered protection and ease of replication, while the bacteria was able to provide much more energy than the cell could on its own. Due to this huge energy boost, the cells were able to grow much faster and over time developed a more organized system within, its, uh, within itself with more internal components. These cells are the eukaryotic cells that make up plants and animals today, and the aerobic bacteria within them are called mitochondria. So mitochondria isn't a human thing. It's, a, it's its own bacteria that just exists within our cells because it's um, safer for it and it provides us oxygen, or not oxygen, uh, energy. So that's, again, we don't know for sure exactly how that happened, but that is kind of the, the accepted thing. The story of how that happened i think it's super cool there's classes about it that um i want to take there it was mentioned in i think two of my operative bio classes so far both of which i really enjoyed um symbiosis is just super cool and the fact that we have an example of successful symbiosis within our own cells i think is just fascinating so i wanted to include that in this episode <clears throat> Anyway, this relationship was a game changer and allowed for way more complicated structures to be formed. Everything requires energy to grow, so if you have more energy, you can do and make more things. The mitochondria's ability to breathe was, in some sense, a turbocharger for the engine that was the cell, if you know cars and engines or anything like that. <clears throat> so over more time, these new turbocharged cells, called eukaryotic cells, could multiply and congregate, becoming multicellular organisms in the ocean. Lots and lots of time passed, and these cool new eukaryotes became bigger and more specialized, and more and more and more of them evolved over a period of several billion years, and then, bam, the Cambrian explosion. It's the time period where most animal phyla started showing up on Earth. Um, I actually learned about the Cambrian explosion through uh, Bill Wirtz's video, The Entire History of the World, I guess. Definitely go check that out. It's super cool. Um, I'll, I think I'll bring it up later on. But yeah, Cambrian explosion. Now there's a bunch of living things in the ocean, and at some point they started to move to the land, perhaps for untapped resources and safety or maybe some other reason. Either way, the increasing levels of oxygen in the atmosphere allowed for this transition to take place. Newly developed ozone protection, or, sorry, ozone protected everything from harmful rays from the sun, and oxygen in the air allowed animals to breathe outside the water once they evolved lungs. So there's all these animals in the oceans now. There were early forms of plants and stuff too, but I'm just going to focus on animals for today because I'm going to the humans, which obviously aren't plants. So at this fork in the road, we are now focusing more on the animal side of things. <clears throat> so when I hear the phrase animals in the ocean, I personally think of fish. 
and I think most people probably do also. And yeah, fish were alive back then, including sharks. Sharks are literally older than trees. Super weird to think about. But anyway, there is a cool character arc of fish developing lungs and limbs to get out of the water. That's a type of fish, or there's a type of fish that still exists today called lungfish. They have both lungs and gills, which means they can breathe in and out of water. However, they don't have limbs, they can walk on very well. Um, so that's where our body, buddy Tick Talek comes in. Um, he was a very special guy that shared a common ancestor with the lungfish so he could breathe air and water. And I'm saying he just because I think it's silly. There were obviously female Tiktaaliks as well. Um, anyway, Tiktaalik evolved limbs to sort of crawl around uh, the shallow water and onto land. Not very well, but better than anyone else at the time. Uh, so this was a huge deal for evolutionary history. Land had resources exploited by no other vertebrates, and it was a whole new niche to con conquer. And conquer the vertebrates did as we know. <clears throat> By this point, these animals had something pretty cool that I think is the most important thing that has ever existed in the whole universe. Something so powerful and mysterious, we don't even know what we don't know about it. Something so fascinating, it named itself. And that would be the brain. And I'm going to talk about the brain a ton in the next episode, so I just wanted to make a point of bringing it up here because the rise of the reptilian brain was an interesting milestone for the rest of the phanerozoic or for the rest of phanerozoic neuroscience which i think is just a cool couple of words there phanerozoic is a time period going back from i don't know exactly when the cutoff was but i think it was including the tiktaalik um, i think all of animals probably I don't really know, um, extending to now. So Phanerozoic neuroscience just means neuroscience, whatever. Um, but yeah, I just want to mention this point in the road where the brain um, was becoming more specialized, I guess. The, the reptilian brain is something that's really important. So um, at least for, for like our brains, that's something that we still have. Uh, and I want to mention that here. So eventually... Amphibians and reptiles evolved and were really able to take advantage of this new world, the, the land. For some reason, a ton of animals got really big relative today, and I think the general consensus is become being is sorry, is because being bigger makes it harder for other animals to eat you. Um, the land resources and food had fewer competitors, and because there was more oxygen in the atmosphere back then, so animals could afford to be bigger, where now maybe not so much. Um, I hope that made sense. I didn't even understand what I said. Basically, animals got really big back then, and we don't really know why, but a big part of it is probably because there was just a huge amount of oxygen. And like I said earlier, more oxygen lets things do more and make more stuff so they could become bigger, they could afford to be bigger. Um, but again, we don't really know for sure. <clears throat> but now we're talking about dinosaurs. The dinosaurs were a type of reptile, and as you probably know, some of them got really, really big. Dinosaurs are basically the rulers of the earth for about 165 million years. 
and I think they were pretty cool. Then a meteor came, and they all died, and that's a huge bummer. But there is a silver lining, and that is that there was an opening for the top dogs of the land, because the dinosaurs were top dogs, and then they all died out. So that position was left unfilled, um, and the whole top dogs thing was a crazy play on words because the next guys and girls to fill that role were the mammals and dogs are mammals. So, sorry. Um, yeah. Moving on. The mammals came, which is another neuroscience milestone I'll talk about in the next episode. Um, fun fact, humans like you and me are mammals. So while it sucks that the dinosaurs got taken out, it's kind of cool because it gave our ancestors the space to fill the dinosaur shoes and it marked a key point for humanity's rise to the top of the food chain. Which, okay, I don't even know if we are the top of the food chain. Like, we can basically eat anything we want, but, like, other things can also eat us and that happens regularly in some places. So, like, I don't know if we're the top of the food chain. I'm using it as as a figurative thing. A figure of speech because I don't actually know who's at the top of the food chain um, yeah the animals or sorry the mammals that survived uh, the meteor were small rodent looking things I don't really know anything about them um, but the story of evolutionary history generally stays the same organisms specialize and diversify based on the resources that are available and or due to genetic changes and mistakes during meiosis and mitosis and over millions of years which that's it's so weird to have that just in a sentence over millions of years that is a huge amount of time and i want to just appreciate that i've used that phrase millions or billions of years several times in this episode and i want to just sit here and highlight that's a crazy long amount of time that is so much time that's a stupid amount of time. Like, I I can't even articulate how long of a time that is, other than just by saying the number of years it is, which is several million or several billion, which is even crazier, even more mind-boggling. Um, so much time has passed. Um, anyway, over millions of years, these small rodent creatures gave rise to every single mammal on the earth today, which includes the primates. Um, and fast forward even more to today, more like um, a few million years ago. Again, it's a super long time ago. Um, fast forward to about a few million years ago, and bam, the first humans on earth were born. Um, and that's, there's a car. Uh, that's still an interesting conversation, and I'll probably talk about it in the next episode a little bit, just kind of picking up where I'm leaving off right now. Um, when exactly was the first human? What's the distinction? I don't really know. I might know more when I write the next episode, be a little bit more knowledgeable when I write that or as I'm writing that, I'll be doing research. Um, I guess not research, because it's not me finding out new knowledge. It's me gathering knowledge that already exists and putting it together. So synthesizing information, I guess, 
as I'm writing the episode, and hopefully there will be something cool to talk about with that, because, I mean, obviously humans exist now, and obviously at some point we didn't, so there had to have been a first human, but it's really hard to pinpoint when that was and who that was and how to distinguish that human from the thing that gave birth to it, that primate thing. Um, so yeah, that's just something interesting to um, talk about. Oh, so there we have it. The formation of the first organic materials on Earth all the way through to the first people. What a long-winded, tragic, and beautiful story it is. Evolutionary biology is a very cool topic, and I think everyone should learn a bit about it. So hopefully this was a cool little introduction to it. Um, a lot of the information I got for this episode came from a class I took freshman year at UCSD called Build 3, taught by Carolee Caffrey, who is one of my favorite professors I ever had. Um, Build 3 was the first college-level biology class I ever took, and I loved it. It was, I don't, I never took AP Bio, but I heard it was similar um, to that. So if you ever took that in high school, or if you're in high school right now and you're looking for a cool, for a cool class to take, definitely AP Bio, I would suggest. I, I never took it, so I don't know, look it up, listen to people who have taken it. But if it is the same information, super cool, highly recommend it. Um but yeah, everything else came from various sources on the internet, and um, like I said earlier, a lot of this episode had a ton of interlap, uh, or ton of overlap with the first few minutes of Bill Wirt's video on YouTube, The Entire History of the World, I guess. Um, that is one of my favorite um, YouTube videos. I watch it regularly, um, just because I find it interesting and funny, um, and yeah, so hopefully... If this is something that's interesting, go check out that video. I think it's really cool. I think you'll everyone will really enjoy that. Um, but yeah, so that kind of concludes all the information for this episode. Um, in the next episode, I will be doing a deep dive into the brain, neuroscience, psychology, and consciousness, which I'm excited for and also nervous for and a little bit terrified of um, that's just a huge chunk of information to talk about at one time and I think it's all very um, hard to understand or at least some of it is hard to understand some of it maybe not as hard but um, I am excited for it I that is kind of like one of the main points of um, interest i guess when i was picturing this series was neuroscience and psychology and consciousness and stuff um so i don't know if i'm gonna finish all of those things in the next episode they're all just interrelated as you can kind of tell like they're from here it's maybe less um chronological but it's it definitely builds off itself so Look forward to that. Um, stay tuned for that episode and the following episodes. And um, hopefully we'll get back to kind of regular uh, podcast episodes and more 
often recording and stuff like that because um, this is fun I like this just the series is a monster to kind of take on so um, and I want to do this series like and finish it all at once or I guess all in a row without kind of taking a gap episode we'll see um, but stay tuned I think this is really interesting I'm really enjoying this I hope you guys are too um, so yeah Thank you all for listening, and I will see you next time.